0: Two, one. to relaunch the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, CEO and co-founder of iRelaunch, and your host. Today, we welcome Miriam Berkowitz. Miriam returned to work as a data analyst after a 20-year career break. She is a computer scientist who started her career as a software developer at IBM. She did a lot of volunteering during her 20 years on career break to be home with her children, some of it senior level on a board of trustees at a private school where she served as board chair. To update her technology skills, she enrolled in George Washington University's Data Analytics and Visualization Bootcamp, which was a six-month intensive program that we will discuss. Miriam has been an active member of our private Facebook group, the iRelaunch Return to Work Forum, providing valuable inspiration and advice from someone who has already relaunched, especially into a highly technical area after a long career break. Defying stereotypes, Miriam is thriving in her role and just celebrated the third anniversary of her relaunch. Miriam, welcome to 321 iRelaunch. Hi, Carol. Thanks so
1: much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, we're really excited that you're speaking with us, and we want to hear all the details of how you return to work in this highly technical role after 20 years out of the workforce, because our technical relaunchers who are doubting their abilities to do this and employers who are hesitant to hire them have a lot to learn from you. So let's get started. Can you first start by Briefly reviewing what kind of technical work you did before your career break and whether you were at all connected to your field during the 20 years you were home with your children.
1: Well, I was a software developer, also known as a computer programmer at the time. I worked for 11 years at IBM on a large government contract and then for two years as a consultant in private industry, followed by two part-time years. Back in the 80s and 90s, we use the waterfall method of development, in which each phase of development is done sequentially, taking a very long time. The first eight or nine years, I developed software on mainframe computers. The last few years, I worked on Unix workstations doing more modern software development, or at least modern for the time anyway. I then decided to stay home, home with my children whom we adopted after several years of infertility treatments and failed adoptions, because I thought my staying home would be best for them. I also knew that I needed to do activities for myself. I wanted to contribute to my community. So I began volunteering. Some of my volunteer work involved helping new families and other potential adoptive parents. As my children got older, I joined the board of trustees at the private school they attended doing fundraising, and ultimately serving as the board president. While this work wasn't connected in any real way to computer programming, I found that the tasks I enjoyed the most were working with data and spreadsheets, or helping to form data queries using the fundraising software at the school. These volunteer positions allowed me to be at home with my children, give back to the community, and gain additional skills. I also enjoyed mentoring other people in various volunteer positions
0: that's really interesting so even in the fundraising and development role there was a data inquiries piece that had to do with the software that you were able to engage with
1: right I the the director of uh, development the fundraising person at the school really didn't know how to use the software they had so I figured it out and uh-huh. uh, you know taught her how to do queries and things
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, so that was you know one little bit of my technical skills coming to
0: use. Wow, that's great. I, and so at what point did you start thinking about what you wanted to do when you relaunched? Did you always know that you wanted to return to something related to what you left or were you thinking about other things? And what kind of upskilling did you think about needing to have in order to, get, to reach your career goal?
1: Well, I think I, I always felt I would go back someday to something technical. And when my daughter was in her last semester of high school, I realized I was ready to go back. I had been taking care of everyone else and focusing on nonprofits. And it was time to, you know, to be get back to me and use my brain differently using my analytical skills. I also missed that type of work and problem solving. And I missed the culture of a work environment. So I attended some workshops on getting back into the workforce and I knew I'd have to update my skills. In 20 years, software development had evolved from mainframe computers to the internet, laptops, and agile iterative development. So I decided that a bootcamp, coding bootcamp, would be a good way to learn newer languages and methodologies. It would be faster than going back to school for a master's degree.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, I, what you're saying about enabling others, I feel, is such a, an important piece of the relaunch experience that you're enabling family members or other pe- people in your community or other people to reach their goals. And then finally, it's like, it's it's my turn now. You know, I'm right. going to do this. Right. And I, remember, I remember feeling like that myself when I was getting ready to relaunch. Um, my career break was only 11 years, but still, I, w- I was still... <laughs> It was still a long time, and I was still thinking about that. Now, when you decided, okay, you're going to go back into a technical role, of course, technology had evolved significantly over that 20-year period. You identified that you are going to go into this boot camp. Are you the kind of person that just approaches this with, like, curiosity and excitement? Or did you have any voice inside of you that were saying, I have no idea if I'm going to be able to, to do this now or did you just kind of thought, think you would be able to do it?
1: Well, you know, I did think I'd be able to do it. And I wasn't worried that all my technical skills were lost. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I did after I um, decided all this, is I took um, a community college course on Python programming,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it was an okay. online course. Um, And I just decided, let me make sure that, you know, this is something I can really do. Mm -hmm. And so I just did that on my own. um, And I enjoyed it. And it got me back into the right frame of mind for, you know, getting back into programming. And I was really excited.
0: I love hearing this. Um, and the reason I asked the question the way I did is because we hear from so many of our technical relaunchers who worry about this. And I also love the idea that you did kind of this test run. You took this uh, Python course uh, at the community college to sort of get yourself in that mindset again, but also a little bit of a test to see how does it feel? You know, how am I responding to this? And it Feels to me like the um, experience you had reinforced that you were really ready to enter this boot camp.
1: Yes, I think so. I mean, I really, I think if I hadn't liked the course, maybe I would have changed my mind about the whole mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed it, and I, I just, I it made me feel even more interested.
2: Mm.
0: Now. I want to get into some detail in terms of what the day-to-day was like. It was a, it's a six month intensive program. Um, Is it like you sit down at nine o'clock and you're like focused (laughs) head down, you know, for for eight (laughs) hours and, and are there, is there homework and like, and were there like at the beginning, did it feel like, Whoa, okay. What did I sign up for? How did, bring us through that a little bit.
1: Okay, sure. So Um, Well, the first thing was deciding which boot camp to attend. Mm -hmm. And there were lots of options. And the the data analytics just spoke to me. I'd always worked in databases and data structures. And it was this new upcoming field. Data science was getting very big. Mm -hmm. So it just was calling to me. And so I applied. And I'll be honest, when I applied, it didn't occur to me that I had to go through an actual application process, I thought, I'll just pay them money, and Mm -hmm. they'll take me. But that's not how it was. Um, So I went through the process and was accepted. And it was considered a part-time program, which meant that we met uh, two evenings a week and one day on the weekend. And it was a total of 10 hours of classroom instruction. But on top of that, there were probably about 20 or so hours per week of homework and projects. Mm-hmm. To really master the concepts, you had to practice during the day or you know, during those, the hours when you weren't in the course. Homework took at least 10 hours a week, sometimes more.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
1: on top of that, there were three group projects um, spread out over the, the six months. Each of them were with three students. So we had to come up with the project topics, do all the analyses, and then present the project to the class. So the way the class worked um, is there would be some instruction of a topic and then you had to try it out and do this little programming um, project, you know, small little things in the class. And then they'd go over the solutions and then they'd go on to the next one. So there was like three hours of that, mm. um, you know, each session. And then they wanted you to go home and, and kind of redo them all um, to make sure you really got it. Um, the other thing that the bootcamp had was a small amount of career services. So they, you know, they recommended, you know, update your resume and we'll review it, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the, another thing that they did that was really great is they brought in some data analysts and data scientists to speak to the class.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So we could find out what it was like to really work in that field. So that was very helpful. And the whole thing, the whole time once I got started, I loved doing the exercises and the homework. I found it really fun and challenging. There were other people who were groaning about it, but I loved it.
2: hmm
1: So I really felt that I had made the right choice.
0: And so the way you structured your week, you when you were in class, was were you all online? Was this Oh, this was
1: per, this, is before, this was be before. This was very.
0: Yeah, this this was a few back years in, ago when we used to do things of, in
1: Right, before <laughs> COVID. And um, yes, it was in person. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were supposed to attend in person. I mean, if you couldn't, they recorded the sessions, mm-hmm. if that worked. And then you could watch it. But they, you also were required to be at, I don't remember the number, but it was like, you know, 95% of them.
0: You had to be there in person. And did you find any of it like more challenging than you were ex- expecting or like really frustrating or like you had <sighs> to really spend extra time to understand?
1: Well, one of the the topics that I didn't realize would be so prevalent in the visualization part was the JavaScript and CSS or HTML and CSS um, with JavaScript. and the the CSS I just found, I found that very frustrating. That's the the code that's used to change things like um, formatting of of websites. You know, changing yeah. the the sizes and the fonts and the colors and the resizing as you change the size of the the window and things like that. So that it, I didn't occur, it didn't occur to me that I'd be learning that um, mm-hmm. as part of the data, you know. But that was part of the course that you could display the data that you had analyzed. I
0: think. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, that gives us a sense. And I, I, I'm just so intrigued by it. The idea that, that you were able to go in and just dive in and, and approach this and you loved it. That probably was even more of a clue that this this is the right place for you to be relaunching. Um, when you completed the course, how did you approach the job search? Were you pretty much on your own at that point? Or did, did you get assistance from the boot camp? And how did it go?
1: So the boot camp, like I said, they brought in some employers, I guess. And you have people to speak with us. One of them was interested in interviewing people, you know, who were doing well in the course. Mm -hmm. But that was, I think like two months before, before we finished the course. And I just didn't want to do that until I was finished. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to focus on learning everything I could doing good projects and not be stressing about interviewing. So I decided not to interview with the company that was there doing that. Uh, The other thing that at the very end, there was a I don't know what to call it like a party I guess (laughs) where we had to set up our projects around a big room and different employers were supposed to come
2: Mm.
1: and look at our projects and we could explain them it was okay there weren't that many employers there interested Mm -hmm. and um, I'm gonna think that was something that the university tried to provide Uh, but other than that I was you know really on my own but I found some great things online that were really helpful. The first thing was I joined a bunch of professional groups. Mm -hmm. Um, One of them is women who code another is tech ladies. And then there's something else around here in the Washington area called women in technology. Some of them have Facebook groups. Some of them have Slack workspaces. And then of course, I also joined the I relaunch Facebook group, which was Mm -hmm. really great. Um, During that time, Uh, I saw an offer in one of my Facebook groups. I don't remember which one for someone who was giving a free one hour workshop on how to do a makeover of your LinkedIn profile.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So I thought, well, that's free. I'm going to do that. And it was this young woman who was just fabulous. And she provided so many ideas and things to do that I never would have known. Like I found out that there were groups on LinkedIn um about the different technologies I was interested in and that I should join those groups and read the articles that people post about.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um so that was really interesting and then after that I asked people that I knew to write LinkedIn recommendations for me which I never would have thought to do or I wouldn't have I wouldn't have bothered, I guess. Um and then the same instructor also taught other workshops so she was a um I guess a career coach kind of person. Mm -hmm. And she taught one on resume writing and cover letter writing and another one on interview skills. So I signed up for those and those were longer. Those were like four or five weeks each, um, once a week. And they were pretty intense, but the result is that I gained a lot of confidence in my ability to, to describe my skills and to describe my experience. And it was really, really helpful. I practiced my elevator speech I did practice interviews with the other people. And then as part of it, I had to update my resume and I had to write cover letters and I had to apply for actual jobs because I had to report back on what was happening. Mm. So it forced me to do it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, by then I had also learned about returnships um, but there weren't any in my area at the time. So one of the things I did is, in a couple of my cover letters, I described what that meant, what, it, what a, a relaunch or a returnship is as mm. compared to an internship.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I applied to a couple of internships saying, you know, can we do this as a returnship? Mm. Good idea. And I, I applied to two. One of them called me. And I had a phone interview. Uh, that's as far as I got. They were really looking for a graduate student. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they even called me was a huge boost to my confidence.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Another thing I did is I went to job fairs. I went to all kinds. I went to some that were for women in technology. I went to job fairs for people over 50. You know, I just went to everything. And um, it was it was pretty interesting. And I had people review my resume. And, you know, everybody gives advice. And it's all contradictory. So you don't know what to do. <laughs> But at, at that point, you know, I, I knew that I didn't want to work just anywhere. I wanted to find a company whose mission I believed in. And that was the most important part for me because at this point I wasn't really doing it to make money. I was doing it for my, for my mind and my, you know, my personal wellbeing. Mm-hmm. Um, So I, I figured I could, I could look around and find a company that I like. And that's what I did.
0: Wow. So can we get into more detail about that next step? Because, I, you know, we, we've been corresponding for a while and you wrote that you saw a posting in a group. I saw a posting in a group I belong to, women who code Slack jobs channel. That sounded exactly like what I wanted to do. The woman who posts the job doesn't, doesn't work there, but her friend does. So can you tell us what happened? Sure. So I saw the posting and it really
1: like it described everything I had learned in boot camp and everything that I enjoyed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was a company whose mission sounded really interesting to me. I I guess I asked her about it and I I applied online
0: and then things got started. But when you applied online, did she had a friend who worked there.
1: Right. Right. She posted on behalf of her friend who, um, was one of the people that I ended up interviewing with. Mm -hmm. So apparently, you know, because she recruited me, um, that sort of enabled him, the, the person who worked at the company to put in a good word for me, even though he didn't really know me, but I think that, that really helped a lot.
0: Okay. I just want our listeners to under, I just want to underscore for our listeners, What Miriam just said so she said that the lead came from a professional group that she belonged to online it was posted on their slack channel the person who posted the job doesn't work there but her friend did and her friend put in a good word for her even though they hadn't met so I know people get really hung up about this and they don't really believe that this kind of thing can happen but here is a perfect example. So I wanted to make sure that we highlighted this.
1: Since then, I've done the same thing where I posted jobs on that same channel for my for my company that I now work for. Um, and I have actually hired
0: from there.
2: Wow. Um, okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I hope everyone's listening. This is a really important part of the job search. Uh, and Miriam, were you surprised? I mean, were you one of the people who kind of doubted about this you know friend of a friend kind of networking strategy
1: um yes, actually I you know i you hear people talk about it and you hear how important it is to network and being an introvert, networking is not something that I gravitate to intentionally, <laughs> but I do you know as needed and and that's what I did. I feel like um, people say you know it's it's Talking to other people and getting the word out, and that really makes a difference.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's move now into this interview process at this company that you've applied to. Um, they've called you in. So, our technical relaunchers would want to know uh, was there, what was the interview process? Was there some sort of a technical coding interview? Was it timed? Like what, what was the actual process that you went through?
1: Okay, sure. So first I had a, a phone interview with a recruiter and then she invited me to do the video technical interview. So that was in 2018 mm-hmm. and not everyone was doing video interviews then, but my company was. And it was to be a technical interview, but not, um, not a coding test.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I met with the manager of the data science department and then the data scientist who worked for him. And he turned out to be the friend of the person who had posted the job. Hmm. So they, they knew that I had prior coding experience. They knew I had just finished the, the data analytics bootcamp. They asked me some Python questions. They asked me some SQL questions. They asked me to write some SQL queries, which I did. And I already knew SQL before attending the bootcamp. So I, I have, you know enough confidence with that. And then um, they asked a couple of statistics questions, which I didn't know all the answers, but they told me that that was fine because they weren't expecting me to. Mm-hmm. So you know, that part you know, went really well. And it was evident from what they were saying and how they were treating me that they were interested in my new coding skills, but also my prior experience and my life experience. So it seemed like it would be a really good fit and they decided to take a chance and moving on to the next step. So that was a meeting in person at the office with a larger group of people. And I didn't really know what to expect because it had been such a long time since I'd had any real interviews, Mm
2: -hmm. but
1: it was very relaxed. And I spoke with a lot of people. Um, I felt very comfortable and then after that, they asked me to meet with the CEO. He had been unavailable the day I was there. So I had a video interview with him and I you know, prepared by researching him and he was on a, um, a podcast about something and so I listened to that mm-hmm. and um, that was a good way to prepare for that. So that was that. I, I also did interview um, for another position. And that was back at the boot camp. They were looking for a teaching assistant. And I thought about doing that. That had a, a pretty technical interview as well, where they asked me a lot of technical questions and I had to do a mock, like a mock tutoring session, which was very different, you know, from interviewing for a, like a regular job. And ultimately I decided not to take that, even though it was part-time, which I kind of thought would be a good way to get back into things. I didn't want to give up my weekends hmm. So I went for the full time position and um, been there ever since.
2: Wow.
0: Let me ask you a question about that. So initially you were kind of hoping to get a part time role. Were you applying, trying to find part time roles that were interesting and substantive and you couldn't find them? And so then you started looking for full time and or how did that happen? And then when you took that full time job. Were you like, oh my God, what I sign up for? I hope I can do this or <laughs> how did I, what was that thought process? Yeah.
1: So there just weren't part-time jobs.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, there are not. Not in, not in this hard field. To find. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So that I didn't, I wasn't really trying to find them because they, I, I realized that they didn't exist.
2: Mm-hmm. Except
1: for this TA job that was part-time. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, you know, there were pros and cons, you know, that I felt if I did it, One, it would be part-time and two, it would give me a way to sort of relearn all the things I had just learned and be even stronger, you know, but really it had to do with, I didn't want to give up my weekends. (laughs) Right. That makes um, sense. And I said, if I'm going to do this, I'm just going to do it.
0: So, Mm -hmm. so that's what I did. All right. So you got hired and all of a sudden it's day one and you have a full-time job were there any conversations that went on on the home front or, or that like all of a sudden moms got this full-time job or like, how did you, what happened there?
1: Right. So, you know, my kids were grown and
0: mm. oh, um, that's right. 20 year career break. Of course. Yeah. So <laughs>
1: one was still living at home mm-hmm. and you know, I think what, what changed was things like I had to get a dog walker to come walk my dog. Mm -hmm. And I had to figure out how to, you know, make dinner when I was coming home, you know, after work, Mm -hmm. things like that. So it just sort of disrupted those sorts of things. But, you know, over time, those things all kind of worked out.
2: Wow.
0: Good. Now, can you bring us into your life in the first couple months in the job? Um, Because I remember you saying something about, I feel like I'm working kind of slowly. And then when I heard back from you a few months later, you're like, I feel much more comfortable. So can you talk (laughs) about those two inflection points and what happened in between that you were able to make that transition to feeling more comfortable?
1: Sure. So the beginning was really challenging. Mm -hmm. And I think many people, certainly many relaunchers and many women, have feelings of imposter syndrome. Like, am I really, mm-hmm. can I really do this? You know, or am I just speaking it? And so I, I had those feelings. I had some roadblocks in terms of setting up my coding environment on my laptop and trying to understand the requirements for the, the products they wanted me to build. The, the requirements were not clear. I didn't know who to talk to. Different people said different things. The database was very, very large and complex, and I had a lot to learn. So it took longer for me to produce anything than I thought it would. And I also realized at that time that although I had learned quite a bit of Python between the community college course and the work and the, the boot camp, that I had only scratched the surface and there was much more to learn. Mm. So, that was all very challenging for me. And mm-hmm. I, I felt discouraged and I just felt like I'm not, I'm not getting enough done. I'm, not, I'm working hard, but I'm not producing anything yet.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I remember having a conversation with you, Carol, then, where you told me, don't make any decisions until you've been there six months. And I really took oh, that advice. great advice. advice. To, no, it was great advice. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick it out. And I'm not going to think about this until I've been Mm -hmm. there for six months. Yep. And then, you know, over time, I just, I learned more. I worked hard. I was more willing to ask for help. I think that was one of the things when I needed help and I didn't understand something, it was fine to go and ask somebody. I didn't have to figure it all out myself.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And that, that plus time. Um, really got me there. And I think after about five months, um, I was working well, I was producing, and I felt I was working faster and more accurately. And I felt like I was contributing. And at that point, it didn't occur to me to quit, you know, where I had been thinking about it Mm -hmm. in the beginning. Um, The other thing is people at work seemed very impressed, and still do, that I had come back. Mm-hmm. You know, after being away for twenty years, and that was a big ego booster, too,
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, you know it works both ways, though. When you're feeling like, oh, can I do this and do I need to quit? It's like, does that mean people think that when they look at relaunchers, they're not going to succeed? like I remember ha- like thinking a little bit of that at, at the beginning of when I went back, but uh, this is. Very interesting and important for our listeners to hear that, you know, there there is imposter syndrome. There's something called the learning curve. We have a great podcast on the learning curve with Michelle Friedman. Uh, we have a great one on imposter syndrome with Maureen Byrne. Uh, who returned to a technical role after a 10 year career break and had imposter syndrome for the first two years. But there's this, when you're, you're learning so much at the beginning, you might have a dip in performance for a little bit until you get your sea legs and then you start to um, move back up that learning curve again. And it seems like that's exactly what you're illustrating.
2: Marianne. Right. That
1: is exactly it.
0: Yeah. So I hope everyone is getting this message really clearly and just internalizing it. So when you're back at your relaunch um, and there, you know, it's hard at the beginning that you persevere and stick it out for a while and things will ultimately turn around. We see this a lot. And so it's not just Miriam is this one unusual case. This is, is, is a pattern that we see with relaunchers. It's especially interesting to hear you talk about it in a highly technical role. And it's it's great to, to to just have that that illustration for everyone um, to know what that progression was. So Miriam, you have a website called miriamberkowitz.com, and it showcases your technical projects and explains them in some detail. And I'm just going to read some of the details, uh, knowing that like I don't even know what some of this means, but our technical relaunchers will, and I want them to hear the type of detail that you um, th- that you include so you had there was an image of something and then it said bacteria biodiversity board this project used javascript plotly.js python html css bootstrap and flask to explore the biodiversity data set i read the data from csv files using pandas i then built three gra- graphs using plotly and javascript The pie chart shows the top 10 samples for a particular sample ID. And it has pie charts and bubble charts and and a gauge chart. So I just wanted to read that because I know some of you technical relaunchers, that will be meaningful to you. But for Miriam, the question I want to ask you is, um, why did you set this up? Why did you set it up in this way? And sometimes we'll hear our technical relaunchers say you need to set up a GitHub portfolio to show projects um that that you um build while you're um, in class or learning. And I wanted to know your opinion on that and why you didn't set that kind of um, that, that kind of portfolio up.
1: Sure. So I will say the main reason is that my bootcamp required us to make a portfolio website ah, that was a required okay. uh, part of the the work because they wanted us to be able to have that for the purpose of interviewing and finding jobs
2: mm-hmm.
1: so that particular project the bacteria biodiversity project showcases many of the skills and technologies that i learned in the bootcamp, from python and SQL and flask to javascript plotly and html the visualizations themselves shows that I mastered the data retrieval and graphing portions. And I used what I thought was a pleasing color palette. So I thought it looked really pretty. <laughs> the, uh, when you talk about GitHub, yes, it's very important to also put code that you've, you've written in GitHub so people can see that. Um, but I think in this particular case, it's important to be able to explain what technologies you used for the different parts of the project. Most of these projects required multiple languages, different technologies, and they all have to interface and work together. So GitHub can be used to store the actual code, but the actual interaction of these graphs is best experienced by using the portfolio website, selecting different samples, and seeing how the graphs change. Mm. So this was a way to have it be interactive, not just to say, you know, here's what it looks like which you can, can also do that on GitHub and you can probably have a link from GitHub to it as well. But I wanted the visual right there.
0: So Miriam, we're coming to the end of our time and I wanna ask you the question that we ask all of our podcast guests. And that is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about today?
1: Well, I think it's really important to take the time to figure out what you wanna do in the next phase of your career. And then pursue that goal as your full-time job. For me, getting started required some introspection. I took a five-week workshop specifically for people getting back into the workforce. The first session was devoted to self-assessment, followed by how to market yourself and networking and all the usual things. Once I made the decision to apply for the data analytics bootcamp, I made the bootcamp and my job search my full-time job. It's critical to know what you want and to connect with others who can help you achieve your goals.
0: Wonderful, wonderful advice. Um, I just want to chime in uh, for relaunchers who are looking at the iRelaunch.com website that we have something called Roadmap, which is a five-stage, 30-step, self-directed guidebook and framework for returning. And we also have two of our coaches lead a small group boot camp using that as, a, uh, as the curriculum. So... That's an alternative for people who want to go through a process like Miriam's describing. Uh, now, Miriam, you've been so generous. I know that, that you are on several different websites and people connect with you and ask you questions all the time. Uh, so if people want to get in touch with you, can they connect with you on LinkedIn?
1: Sure, that would be great. It's um, Miriam Berkowitz, all one word, I think.
0: Okay. And it's B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z. That's right. It's the last name, spelling. Okay. Very good. Miriam, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun for me too. And also uh, I benefited so much from, from hearing all about your experience and I know our listeners will too. So thank you. And thanks for listening to 321 iRelaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the CEO and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. For more information on iRelaunch conferences and events, to sign up for our job board and access our return to work tools and resources, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Instagram, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.